It's amazing the things I've done with duct tape. <laughs> You're listening to The Cosmic Cast. Good morning, afternoon or evening. Today we have me, Marissa Lowe, Elliot Carter, Dr. John Pernay Fisher, and straight off a of Stromboli, Benjamin Essie. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. So you are a uh, PhD student here, and you're in your... What year are you in? Fourth year. Fourth year, wow. Yeah, so, okay. Slightly terrifying. Have you said oh, fourth yeah. year yet? I have uttered oh, okay. it under a blanket. <laughs> I had to say second year the other day, and it felt very strange. Yeah, it's a bit terrifying. Yeah. So what is it that you do, Ben? So I am a volcanologist. I uh, uh, Specifically, I'm a remote sensor. So I like to use instruments to measure volcanic plumes from very far away. So I don't have to get up close and personal with a volcano, which is generally well advised, I feel. Mm. Uh, predominantly, I use UV spectrometers or cameras. So that's using uh, sort of scattered sunlight around in the atmosphere. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. So you're basically like on a boat somewhere with like a, some sort of spectrometer. I have been work? on a boat with a spectrometer, but it was only the one time. <laughs> Usually we do it from the ground okay. or, or from a car or something. Um, but actually, saying that, I've done it from the ground, car, once in a helicopter, which was great mm, fun. Nice. Um, and one time on a boat, but the boat unfortunately didn't work. So you've been mostly working in Italy then? Yeah, so I've, I've been around the world a little bit, but most of our work has been in Italy uh, on Stromboli, which is a small island volcano off to the north of Sicily. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah... It's a really nice place to go and visit if you're on holiday. Yes, so it's a it is. better place to go and do field work. And so, in fact, you've just come back from Stromboli just a few weeks ago, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, we I were think. out there for about a week and a half yeah. um, in September. Measuring more gas. Yeah, well, we were there actually to measure the gas and, and ash in the plume. So Stromboli is this really nice volcano. Uh, a lot of people call it a laboratory volcano mm-hmm. because it tends to erupt every 15, 20 minutes. Just a small, what's called a Strombolian eruption, which isn't very big. Um, but it's they generally kick out. Uh, a bit of ash and a bit of gas so we're there to measure some instruments that we're designing and developing to for measuring ash plumes mm-hmm. so what have um so what, what what are you hoping to understand by measuring the ash and all the gases and all that kind of stuff there's two things really for one was to look at the dynamics of plumes so a, a lot of people maybe listen to this will remember in 2010 there's a big eruption of the volcano in Iceland. Which ah, now I'm, we'll <coughs> ask you to pronounce that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. It's something along the lines of, and I'm going to apologise for any Icelandics listening, Eyjafjallajökull. That sounds pretty Yeah, that's pretty yeah. yeah. I've practised and I'm still rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that erupted in 2010 yes. and had a big, uh, they submitted this large ash plume all over Europe and caused a lot of disruption mm-hmm. to the airlines. And a lot of people were stuck on holiday. Boo-hoo people. <laughs> uh, and... One of the big things about that eruption is it wasn't that we were, um, I don't know, what's, what's the best way to put it? Yeah, one of, one of the worst impacts of that eruption was basically we didn't know where the ash was in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We shut down all the airlines so they wouldn't have any chance of running into the air. Yeah, I remember that. I was living actually quite near Heathrow at the time, and I Ooh. just remember noting that this, how how clear all the skies were and just <laughs> nice the and quiet. noise of, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It's Because I guess it's the sort of thing you sort of drown out in your consciousness, isn't it? Where all planes going overhead all the time, but... That's true. Its absence, it was definitely palpable. And it's, it's and the, the sky was so clear where you haven't got all those uh, trails. Uh, yeah, so, so for once, chem- the chemtrailing chem chem yeah, yeah. chem and the government-sponsored <laughs> uh, uh, poisoning. Was I suddenly had control over my own actions yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah the free. fog lifted from my brain and I was able to see clearly. Yeah. But sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, Thank yeah, <laughs> four minutes in and we're already completely off track. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, one of the biggest problems is that we just didn't know where the ash has gone. Right. Uh, and so a lot of improvements since then have been made in modeling the dispersal of ash. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest unknowns is still how you go from the actual eruption column, so mm-hmm. when it's actually coming out of the volcano, yep. and then actually how it spreads in the atmosphere. So okay. the linking between those isn't too well known. And so it's controlled by the gases that are present and well, it's chemistry. Just a really, it's a really complicated complicated problem because it depends on how strong the eruption is mm-hmm. um, you have what's called weak or strong plumes which mm-hmm. are, a weak plume is where it's really bent over because the wind's blowing it sideways a strong plume is where it's sort of more buoyantly just rising straight upwards in an eruption column mm-hmm. um, and so you have a bit of an interplay with the local atmospheric conditions and the actual eruption conditions uh, and how those play out can have a big role in how the ash plume will be dispersed um, so we're, we're pretty good now at you know once the ash is in the atmosphere and we we, we can figure out where it's going to go but linking the actual yeah. eruption itself to the rest can be quite difficult so that's okay. what we're trying to do yeah. with one of the jobs with these with this um yeah. this so you've work. been focusing on stromboli then because it's quite a sort of a, a a simple system or uh well it's it's an easy it's an easy volcano to use for yeah. measuring ash because yeah. you know reliably it's going to kick out a little ash explosion about every yeah. 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Otherwise you have to wait for a volcano to erupt and then sort of peg it towards it, yeah. which isn't always the most wise thing to do. So can you then scale that up then to apply to other volcanoes? Yeah, stuff? we've been looking at doing similar things on Etna, which okay. is a, a, a volcano in, in Sicily. Yeah. Um, Again, a very nice place to go. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we also actually did measurements uh, when we went out to Central America to uh, a volcanic dome complex called Santa Guito, mm-hmm. which is in the eruption scar of a really big volcano called Santa Maria in Guatemala. Okay, wow. that's quite that's cool. Really cool. So I guess how does that link to, and this is really um, dragging up the, some of the, the volcanology I learned in undergrad. So you've got different types of volcanism, so Strombolian and yeah. Plinian and all that kind of stuff. How does, how does that link? So if you've been studying a, a Strombolian type volcano, can you apply it to other types of, of eruption? Is that... Yeah, I suppose it's just a scaling thing, like yeah. you say. Strombolian is more on the, the lower end. So you have this what is called a volcanic explosivity index, which yeah. goes from zero to eight, Right. I think. <laughs> well, zero is a Hawaiian eruption, which is basically no ash. It's just the lava flow coming out. And eight, I think, is called megaplinian or something or <laughs> something so. like that, okay. um, which is your sort of your super eruption style things uh, which we where, where ash will like travel you know continents yeah well around the globe several yeah. times usually i think right okay wow so it'd be like a pinatubo or something like yeah, that yeah pinatubo i think was a six okay okay off the top <laughs> of my head uh at eight i think we're looking more at i think like tambora, tambora? Yeah. yeah it was what was an eight uh, and i think one of the some of the past eruptions at yellowstone might have been okay yeah. well. so is tambora the year without a summer yeah yeah when okay did, when, when was i've not heard 1812 yeah i think so Okay. Yeah, I, I think. was like 18 something. Or maybe 14. Like the global temperature dropped by two degrees or something. Where is yeah. Tambora? Indonesia. Indonesia. And Mary Shelley writes Frankenstein. There's a whole sort of thing about the oh. weather was so bad that she went on holiday to Switzerland, I think, and they couldn't go outside. And maybe because she was stuck inside because it was raining. Yeah. That's why she wrote Frankenstein. Wow. That's a. Tri- pop trivia you do get more global effects with even smaller eruptions mm-hmm. so like Krakatoa yeah. it was a oh I'm not sure what it was was it a five well, I'm I not, I might have to look that one up head, but I don't know. yeah we'll go with five if it's not I'm sorry um, <clears throat> and that caused uh, funky sunsets around the world for mm-hmm. for a, a while afterwards from the, um, the, uh, the all the aerosols that kicked out mm-hmm. um, sort of like when you have a really dusty sky and it gives you that lovely red colour mm-hmm. same thing happens I heard that's what inspired the background in the screen, the painting. Ah. But I can't remember whether that's an urban myth or not. 
I think it's true. Well, on this podcast, we won't be bothering to check any facts, <laughs> so that's fine. No fact-checking here. <laughs> I can say whatever I want. Yeah. Uh, uh, so cool. what does a typical ash plume look like on Stromboli? Dark. Well, actually... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Darkness. Dark. No, uh, y- y- it was one thing we noted whilst we were there. So as a little side note, I've been to Stromboli six times, and this Ooh. is the first time we've been when it's been really nice weather. Oh, really? That's surprising. Believe it or not, it's rained pretty much every other time. What sort of time of year have you been going? Like April, June, okay. October, September. We've been at all times of year and we just always got really bad weather. So this is a really nice trip where we actually had beautiful clear skies, no cloud on top of the volcano. Um, so we got a really good look at where the explosions were coming from. And there's a few vents on the, at the top. So the, the actual summit area is formed of a number of different craters, which have a number of different vents inside. It's not all coming out the same hole as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's quite a distinct personality between the different vents, which is quite cool. So, the what uh, what we think was coming from the northeast crater is called this. There's a northeast, central, and, and southwest, which are the, I think are the main ones. Um, the northeast was that had this really sort of dark, ashy plume. The central one was more gas, and then the southwest was more like a light, ashy plume. So, you really saw a a, a, a good variety of activity even on the same volcano. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're at a volcano, is your aim to like test your measuring of ash and so on, or is it to actually study how the dyma- dynamics are in that particular place? Yeah. So 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 far, a lot of my work has been on instrument development. So we've been there to test how well we can see the ash with our cameras, um, and we've done that a few times now. So now we're beginning to move on to more of the looking at what we can see with the cameras so so far it's been more of a testing and development and now we're moving more into actually using them for some interesting stuff Mm -hmm. for example there's another set of cameras that look at sulfur dioxide Uh, it's called an so2 camera so sulfur dioxide is one of the big gases that volcanoes emit Um, i think it's the third most abundant after water and carbon dioxide Um, but sulfur dioxide isn't really around in the background atmosphere so it's really it's a lot easier to measure than uh, water and carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. which are Uh, so uh, by measuring the sulfur that comes out you can quite easily get an idea of how much gas is coming out of the volcano and that's very useful for monitoring uh, but one of the problems is when you have these ashy plumes like we see on Stromboli that ash blots out the signal from the SO2 and so what we were trying to do is use the ash camera to try and basically identify where the SO2 camera was would be having issues so that ah. we can sort of tell it where not to look <laughs> basically. Right, okay so you're sort of using these together yeah yeah right, as, a, okay. as a combined tool oh. okay. and these just off the uh, off the shelf cameras that you buy or sort of they're, they're actually astronomical cam- okay. cameras um so they just need to be sensitive to the uv yeah uh, which normal cameras aren't because they have what's called a bio filter on uh, which is i don't know i don't know what it does i don't know enough about cameras unfortunately <laughs> but i know it stops uv light right um, okay so, so i'm guessing it's just like they have different filters inside them yeah so most to... most cameras have got that i think it's the rgb filter Oh, okay. right. I think that's what where this comes from. Is it probably to stop the sun frying your camera? Yeah, imagine, maybe. I think so. Uh, yeah. I don't think UV light's usually what you want in. But for astronomical cameras, yeah. apparently, yeah. it's fine. Uh, so we tend to use those. That's cool. So is is the kind of thing you're working on things that could then be scaled to satellites and stuff to look at an entire huge plume? Like, cause originally you're talking about Iceland, say. Yeah, yeah. Is this something you can then use to track that ash, or is yeah, it more probably. of a ground-based thing? Uh, at the moment, it's more of a ground-based thing, but I think anything... The nice thing about remote sensing is as long as your light source is the same... I mean, our light source is the sun, so you can still see the sun from a satellite. Um, and there are UV satellites up there looking down at volcanic plumes mm-hmm. that measure the, the sulfur dioxide and also sometimes the ash. So I don't see why this couldn't be scaled up. 
Um, so what's been your favourite volcano that you visited? Oh, that's an excellent question. There's so many. Stromboli will always have a special place in my heart because it was the first one I went to, the first active volcano I saw. And I remember the first time I saw an eruption there, I had that sort of, oh, wow moment this yeah is... ben i've never seen a, a volcanic eruption we need to get you as a field assistant on one yeah trip, yes please <laughs> um i've only been to a couple of volcanoes i've been to like Tay Day. i've been to etna that's, that's not so bad yeah but i've not seen them erupting um yeah. and i feel like now that i do moon volcanoes i'm not going to for a little while unless i'm there by chance so um yeah what are the eruptions like uh it depends how close you are yeah <laughs> from far away really pretty really awe-inspiring uh, and you can see the real energy that's mm. involved in these things um up close scary um we've had a few times where we've been uh on top of the volcano and the weather's pulled in you know visibility drops and you can hear an explosion go off in the background this sort of <laughs> full-on oh, it sounds like a jet engine roar wow. and you think right there's there's something that's throwing red hot glowing rocks into the air <laughs> yeah. not too far away from me and that's a pretty real feeling. Presumably, um, you've got special permits to approach. Yes, and all that yeah, kind of yeah. Stuff. So many, a lot of volcanoes are rightly so yeah. covered by uh, various health and safety rules. So we tend to go up either with trained guides mm -hmm. or with members of. For, for Stromboli, we do a lot of work with the INGV, which mm -hmm. is the governmental, uh, the government institution that looks after the volcanoes. So mm -hmm. we know what we're doing, and we're not expecting anything. Yeah. How to close go wrong, have you gotten to actual lava? Actual lava. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never actually seen a lava flow, which is something I'd like to see. Mm -hmm. uh, I have seen a lava lake, though. So we did some work at Messiah Volcano in, in Nicaragua. Uh, and that was that was pretty cool. So that, that's a, one of the few volcanoes on the planet that has an active lava lake. Mm -hmm. You could see it sort of bubbling away, bubbling over and rolling. Um, yeah. What sort of size cool. is the lake? It, I think it's probably 20 meters. No, 10 meters across. So does it just look like a big boiling bath? of lava well to be honest it looks just gassy most of the time right um, so okay. all the gases they um they condense quite quickly so it can be quite hard to see the actual mm -hmm. the lake itself but when that clears it just looks like a, a red glowing churning mass of stuff wow it's the best way i can describe it that's cool how close that's could you cool. get to it like could you feel the heat from it no so that um so yeah, Messiah's got a bit of a double crater you can stand on the very crater edge mm -hmm. um, but then there's another crater floor inside and then in that there's another smaller crater, which is where the lava lake is. Ah, okay. Um, so you can't get too close. And it's yeah. quite far down. It's maybe like 100 meters away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're not wow. close enough to feel the heat. Yeah. You can see the glow on the clouds at night from quite far away, which mm -hmm. is quite cool. Wow. Um, have you ever felt like tremors or earthquakes during these eruptions? Not or... during an eruption. I want, we once had an earthquake when we were in um, Catania, which is one of the cities near Etna. And it was just in the night. I think it was a magnitude five, um, and we did feel a, a uh, we felt this earthquake which originated from underneath Etna. Wow. Okay. Uh, I say felt. I woke up vaguely, noticed it was moving, and then fell back asleep. <laughs> I didn't really clock it until the morning. Um, you probably just thought, oh, I've just had a bit of a weird dream. Yeah, I just have a vague memory of being rocked, and then I was back asleep. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I've never experienced an earthquake. Uh, I remember going to Iceland a few years ago, and they had an earthquake machine. So you can pay oh. like, it was the equivalent of a couple of quid and you just stood yeah. in like a little pod, sort of like a shower shape uh, size. <laughs> it just sort of shook pod. you up a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah and the floor rubbish. just sort of shook and yeah. Well, they was... had something like that in the Natural History Museum. I don't know if they still do. Yeah, it I was quite fun. I never yeah. went when I went. Yeah. 
It was just, it was rubbish. It's just like a oh. board that goes, that just moves from side to side and you get jiggled about a bit. Oh, at least the one I went in, they like flashed the lights. Oh, really? So it had like sound effects to it. So oh. it was quite entertaining, yeah. But I imagine a real one would be... It's a bit different. So Ben, you've not always been in the world of volcanology or geology. No. Um, I believe you did your degree in physics. Yes, I know nothing about rocks. <laughs> and this is uh, much to the amusement of my fellow PhD students sometimes. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I started out life, um, I did my undergraduate in physics with astrophysics. Here in university. Manchester? No, at the University of York. Actually. Okay. Um, and loved that. I always wanted to study heliophysics, mm -hmm. so looking at the sun. So I did mm -hmm. all of the plasma physics options I could. And then about six months before the end of my master's, I thought, I want to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Basically. <laughs> Uh, so I thought, how can I use my physics degree and my love of like climbing mountains? And I was looking for different PhD projects and this one popped up where I could go and go to a volcano and, and measure it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being paid to travel to volcanoes appealed. Wow. Yeah. And so here I am. I haven't looked back since. Yeah. But it's actually really, it's really cool. Although I, I do miss out a little bit and I've, I found it a bit confusing at times, not having the, the sort of the basic knowledge about geology. Um, bringing in a different perspective on things, I think sometimes is quite useful. Yeah, so Just have a slightly different mindset to, just in the way, I, I think in the way the undergraduate training went for physics as opposed to geology, mm -hmm. we're sort of taught slightly different things. So bringing that in as a, as a bit of a curveball to everyone else's thinking, I think sometimes is quite useful. You get a different a bit of perspective on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you'll definitely know lots of things that we won't know. Um, and you've like obviously maths. picked up loads of things. Like <laughs> 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 yeah. Maths coding useful things like that yeah i mean most of the coding i've learned has been just self-taught during my phd mm -hmm. we had a very little mm. introduction well i think that's what phds are about you know you don't have to be no. in that field necessarily you just learn yeah. a lot during your phd yeah. so mm. and i've learned a lot about rocks yeah. so much more than i ever thought i would want to so is this the specific project that you saw that you wanted to go for or did you apply to a whole bunch of different projects i did apply to a bunch of different ones um i applied for another one which was at leeds which was to fly a drone through a volcanic plume ah, I which so. i really liked the sound of and then thought that drone's gonna crash <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> volcanic plumes aren't nice you know ash isn't good there's reasons planes don't like flying through them so actively trying to fly a drone through one didn't seem like a good idea or a good way to have a lot of funding left over at the well end. so if you're on that phd uh, dear listeners uh, good luck with that yeah <laughs> i actually know someone who is so there we go. um I, I had a few i had a platform in glaciology mm. which is completely different mm -hmm. uh, and another one which was building a, a a spectrometer to fly on a satellite for measuring methane mm -hmm. oh, okay. um, but again that would have just been four years sat inside a, yeah. an optics lab yeah <laughs> didn't fancy that yeah uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's, I guess it's what brings a lot of people to geology is is the outdoors element. It's yeah, a, I think it's a really big draw and a really big advantage of it. And the the skills you learn doing field work is, you, it it's completely different to anything else you can do because that just that little bit of responsibility and trip planning and and just dealing with things when you're out there in the field. It's a lovely feeling mm -hmm. when you're on you know this island. You haven't really got any phone signal you don't have to worry about emails or paperwork or any sort of admin stuff yeah. Yeah. all you have to do is figure out why your you know spectrometer isn't working and how you can use duct tape to stick it to a wall or something you know it's, yeah. um, a lot of volcanology field work is duct tape as well yeah. <laughs> it's amazing the things i've done with duct tape uh, so speaking of flying things through volcanic ash you've been on a helicopter and flown through a plume yes not an ash plume thankfully yeah um yeah, so this is a some work we've done out in 
uh, Montserrat, which is an iron island in the Caribbean. Ah, yeah. Um, I love all these names you're just name dropping, Ben. I know. <laughs> dropping on the names in the nice places. I've been. <laughs> so Montserrat, so that, that, no one lives there anymore, is that right? No, or, no. So it's still got a population, okay. uh, much diminished. So It was the capital, Plymouth. Plymouth that yeah, got, that was destroyed. So when was that eruption? I can't, I was, I was, 1994, and sort okay. of ongoing since then. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it, for those of you who don't know, Montserrat is a small island in the Caribbean. It's about the size of Dublin. I've learned that over the years. Um, and the bottom half of the island is dominated by this volcano called Sufra Hills. Mm-hmm. And in 1994, it erupted and uh, sort of destroyed the, the bottom third of the island or so. So that is now, and still is covered in an exclusion zone where you're not allowed to go, mm-hmm. uh, which includes the capital city, which was pretty mm-hmm. much buried by pyrocaustic flows. And, um, but also a lot of areas around which weren't necessarily destroyed, but are just too dangerous for, for people to go back. And it's actually a really sad situation there because this includes a lot of people's homes. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, and there's, um, but unfortunately at the moment, it's, you know, the volcano is still active. It's still showing signs of, it's got this constantly degassing plume. So um, from a safety point of view, it's it's just not uh, not yeah. viable to let people so go that's back. quite incredible that it's been erupting for over 20 years i guess yeah i mean a lot of a lot of volcanoes do do this they have these this sort of constant passive degassing where mm-hmm. they're just kicking out yeah. gas all the time so this um Sufra hills isn't erupting as in it's not you know throwing ash and it's yeah. not producing lava flows um in fact there's some there's a bit of discussion in the, the scientific in the volcanology group um as to you know what exactly is the situation is going on there mm-hmm. and this is where we look for things like the past history of, it, of how much gas it's been putting out, how many volca- how many volcanic earthquakes have been, mm-hmm. how much the volcano is itself is actually deforming, and by looking at those patterns, we can try and get an understanding of what's going on. But it's all trying to look at something that's you know buried <laughs> several hundred yeah. meters underground. So it's, it's not very. It's easy. not the case of just oh well, this volcano hasn't erupted in fifty years, therefore it's safe to live next to it. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, we say historically active volcanoes for the last. I don't know how many it's like thousands of years but yeah. volcanoes that have been basically quiet or unresponsive for ten thousand years could suddenly just mm-hmm. up and start erupting again these things yeah. are geological time scales so yeah they don't, yeah, really they don't work on the hundred year time scales yeah. no and presumably across the globe there must be loads of communities that are next to these potential similar situations right? yeah i think i think it's about 200 million people live right. within Right. 15 kilometers of a historically active volcano yeah something like that it might be 50 kilometers the exact number um yeah. but it's a lot of people and so it's a big it's a big um worry for mm-hmm. local governments and risk yeah um, risk managers because you know situations can change yeah suddenly you know you can have a lot of people in a very dangerous situation yeah. um and even just trying to get people to evacuate yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, I guess some people are very stubborn and they uh, they want to move, don't they? Yeah, so. there was actually a really interesting study recently, which was looking at the number of deaths from a volcano, and it found that most of the deaths aren't typically from the first eruption. So typically, we see the eruption coming, we tell everyone to get out from the exclusion. I say we, <laughs> the royal we here. Um, I don't do any of this, but you know, local risk managers yeah. can see the the signs. They get people out of there. Um, maybe the volcano erupts safely. We know mm-hmm. if, if everyone's away. Um, sometimes the volcano doesn't erupt. Uh, an example of that uh, is I think, Guadeloupe. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of unrest there. Um, I can't remember the exact date of it, uh, but then nothing really happened. So sometimes we get it wrong. But um, what tends to happen is when you tell everyone to go away, they go away, and then they start thinking, well, when can I go home? Mm-hmm. It's a similar situation as in Montserrat. It's these people's livelihoods, uh, you know, especially if you come from a poorer area, yeah. 
you know, you're, if you're a subsistence farmer, you've had to leave your farm behind. Yeah. And so, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must <laughs> to, be devastating. I mean, I can't even imagine what that situation must be like, really. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these people go back even when it's not necessarily safe. And that, then if the volcano erupts again, then yeah. that's when a lot of the deaths occur. Yeah. Which is, that's cool. Sorry to bring the tone down. <laughs> Volcanology is very depressing, isn't it? I feel bad asking you about the helicopter because I know <laughs> you weren't very well in the helicopter. Oh, the helicopter. Yes, no. Yeah, that's so. how we got into this. I was like, so you were in a helicopter. Yeah, like. we sort of vaguely tangent away from that, didn't we? Um, so what did you study while you were at Sufra Hills? So, yeah, so we were there to... Um, to sort of get them or to help them out with doing their gas flux measurements. So this is some measurements we do with the UV spectrometers where we basically um, in some way drive a spectrometer underneath the plume and mm. what we do is to sort of measure a transect of that plume. And that, this is in within the exclusion zone? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because um, that's that, that's typically yeah. where the plume gets. Sometimes it does go to the north in that area. Did you get to go through lots of abandoned villages and all that kind of stuff? It must be quite creepy. Yeah, it was... It was scary like and this only happened like 20 years ago yeah and, you know you've got these like old rusted shells of buildings mm -hmm. but mm. so yeah we did a few by car and luckily enough we did a few by helicopter as well so, ah. uh, and that was both flying under the plume to get the this sort of flux measurement but also we were flying through the plume to measure the gas composition mm -hmm. so not so typically when we're doing flux measurements we just look at sulfur dioxide but when we're flying through we're looking at other gases as well so like water mm -hmm. hydrogen chloride uh, carbon dioxide so is this like quite a thick plume of gas like do you have to wear a gas mask or is it pretty diffuse by the time you moderately diffuse where we were although we okay. did kind of fly up the plume towards the volcano and got um butt clenchingly close to the <laughs> <laughs> to the to the dome itself which was uh, an experience um kudos to the helicopter pilot he was one brave person um <laughs> but yeah so but it did get a little bit coffee at times but with the helicopter we're going in and out of the plume so quickly we didn't need a gas mask right it's only if you're spending sort of a significant amount mm. of time or if it's like you say if it's significantly concentrated yeah. but by the right. time it's in the atmosphere it, it tends to get diluted fairly quickly okay okay cool so is that the last of your uh, field work for your phd done now ah oh, who knows <laughs> are you ba basically are you on call is there, if there's going to be a, another big eruption somewhere in the world we'll might just say right well, let's go yeah it's it kind of feels that way sometimes um <laughs> that's bad i shouldn't say that uh no sorry uh, i know some of your trips have been quite last minute haven't they yeah we have had a a tendency to, to book things or to, to plan stuff last minute and when we just need to go out and go but that's just yeah. the nature of a yeah, volcano of if the volcano yeah. is doing yeah, what you need awesome. it to do then you need to get out there so you're so. not necessarily done in the field yet no that's cool might have one more trip left over <laughs> <laughs> only got six months to left fund in my thesis that's fine <laughs> who needs more data <laughs> me <laughs> I can give you some if you want sure. I don't know how useful it will be I'll take whatever's going <laughs> Um, also, your laptop never breaks because it gets filled with ash, was it? Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's been a bit everything. I, I feel like I should send a, a commendation to Lenovo for this, these laptops, but like, it's survived everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I should say it did recently have to be slightly tendered back to life. Um, but no, it's been, yeah, ashed. It's been volcanic gas, <laughs> which is like quite a dense acid plume. Mm. Yeah. I'm still trying to scrub the smell of that plume out of my clothes and the laptop's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's got, had a tree in it at one point oh, okay. um, and sand. Yeah. But only just recently, so I decided that it was, it had enough. Yeah. It's had a bit of a clean and it seems to be all right again. So oh, that's oh. great news. Well done laptop. I'd be very sad if I had to retire. It. <laughs> yeah. It's been through a lot, bless it. <laughs> well, I'm sure IT services have been very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Their look when they said, here's my laptop, it's not turning on. Why? It's been volcanoed. <laughs> like, uh, what? <laughs> I don't think these are necessarily designed for field work. But. Yeah. 
Well, time is running out, unfortunately, but we've got one last question for you. This is uh, for regular listeners. This is the usual question we like to spring on people at the end of an episode. And um, we're always very curious to know if you didn't choose to go down this path of volcano exploring and then gas measuring and all that, what, what else do you think you might have done? What else interests you outside the world of, uh, of your PhD project? Oh, I think, well, it, if I remained in academia anyway, I, I think I would have gone down the aisle of, of uh, plasma physics. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoyed that and learning about that in my undergrad. Um, and just learning about the sun, so looking at heliophysics. Uh, the sun's a really cool thing. It's kind of the center of our solar system, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you guys need to know that. Subscribe to the heliocentric model. <laughs> geocentric, geocentric. Flat Earth. Uh, <laughs> Two conspiracy theories. <laughs> no, if we listen back to this and it turns out you've just been the whispering like flat Earth in the whole time. There's life on Mars. <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt steel. But yes, plasma <laughs> physics, there we go. Uh, and if not that, I don't know what I'd do. Something in the mountains, probably. Yeah. I just love being outside. That's cool. So you do a lot of climbing, and, or mountain climbing? Or? Yeah, when I can. I was actually supposed to be up in Scotland this weekend, uh, climbing some Munros, but unfortunately oh, cool. I've pulled my calf, so I couldn't oh, go. Instead, we're so I'm here, here instead. with us instead. <laughs> Although looking at the weather forecast, I think I'm slightly glad. Yeah. <laughs> I just dodged a slight bullet there. Yeah. Well, if you uh, do pop back off to the field anytime soon, you'll have to come back on and, and tell us uh, what you were doing. Definitely. But in the meantime, it's been a fascinating conversation. Good luck with writing everything up. And, uh, well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.